When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, cats and dogs, everybody out there listening. Woke Rose is back. I'm Michael Brooks. I guess I'm back too. I'm with my compadres, dear friends, Big Waz Wazni Lombre, the Haitian sensation, and Nando Enrique Vila. <laughs> Just laying it on. Uh, of course, the producer, the great producer, Rob Lopez, he's steering the ship. We've got a whole lot to get to you uh, in just a minute. But first, let's talk live shows. We're over halfway sold out for the April 3rd TMBS in Austin, Texas at the North Door with Abby Martin, Anna Kasparian. That's going to be a killer show. Patrons of the Michael Brooks Show, which you should become one, are getting an email, have already gotten an email to get the pre-sales for our next live show, which is going to be June in Boston, I'm going to try to convince Waz to come to that one. <laughs> Waz, what are the live shows we got? Hey, maybe the Boston Celtics will be in the NBA Finals in June, and I'll be there anyway, so you never know. Um, so, of course, March 28th at we'll the We'll celebrate the great Boston sports tradition, Waz. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That and, and, and busing. Um, yeah. So, um, <laughs> right, right. on March 28th at the Bell House in Brooklyn, you guys have been to the Michael Brooks Live show there. You've been to Count the Dings Live there. Uh, you know what type of quality venue that is. Amazing staff, amazing atmosphere right there in downtown Brooklyn, New York. Uh, make sure you get your tickets at CountTheDings.com. It's the entire Count the Dings crew, plus Jerry Ferrara, plus, you know, a few surprise guys in the media. You'd be surprised who we're going to get up there, man. Make sure you get your tickets. Tickets are moving faster as we get closer to the date. You don't want to be left outside for this one, so make sure you get your tickets to that. Awesome. All right. So, gentlemen, uh, and we promise everybody, you know, we're going to we're going to get back to a little bit of the sports and the movies and the culture and so on. But at the same time, this I mean, actually, this is the most important election in our lifetimes. Uh, I mean, I have to think that. I mean, I I get like I 2008, very important. um, And every election is important but this is a big one so we're gonna start just uh basically big picture there was a debate last night there's the south carolina primary on friday bernie bernard sanders is the clear front runner after demolishing the competition in nevada in a thoroughly satisfying way he was the target gentleman Waz, go first. Nando, go first. You guys pick. How did you think that debate went? And then I'll, I'll come back and give my thoughts. Go ahead, Nando. Uh, I mean, it was a absolutely mind-numbing debate. I mean, after the, the previous debate in, in, Nevada, in Nevada, which I thought was a lot of fun um, and very lively and you know genuinely cathartic in many ways, 
Um, this one was just awful. The moderators were just absolutely dog shit. Everyone, including Elizabeth Warren, went after Bernie uh, right out the gate. Um, it, it just it was no no good. I really did not enjoy that at all. Um, I just saw Mayor Pete just be the most cynical person of all time. Um, the crowd was awful because it turns out that they, they, you needed to give like an 1800 minimum dollar donation to the DNC to get into the crowd. So they were all cheering everything that came out of Mike Bloomberg's mouth, um, and booing everything that came out of Bernie's mouth. Um, so yeah, I just, I really did not enjoy that at all. Yeah. The moderators kind of got, got their doors blown off there. And, and, you know, similar <laughs> and funny enough, similar to the way the candidate, the, the rest of the candidates did on Saturday in Nevada. Um, I think everybody, including, you know, we're going to get to the to the freakouts on cable TV where like, you know, this is like when France just was occupied by Germany. And, <laughs> you know, the one lady on CNN basically sounded like she was announcing the death of her puppy. When she said that Sanders had won and she did the, ah, he's gone, guys. You know, like she did the whole, she did the whole performative side, like something painful and terrible had happened to her. Um, yeah, I think the moderators just were kind of, they were out on their skis, man. They didn't know what to expect. And, and it's stupid because the victories have been so decisive in the last three primaries um, I don't understand how they didn't know that everybody was going to be charged up and ready to come at Bernie. And I just wish they were a lot more well prepared with rebuttals for some of these candidates, whether it be a Bloomberg, whether it be a, a Biden. Like when these guys just spout off stuff that just straight up isn't true. Um, I wish they were a little bit better prepared. But again, we all knew what was going to happen going in. Um, if, you know. Of course, Bloom like the timing, some of the timing stuff matters so much, right, guys? Where Bloomberg comes in, everybody understands that he's just spreading money everywhere. He's rising in the polls from seemingly being in the freaking race for two weeks, which says a lot about our system that a guy that has actually no democratic support, meaning like people, democracy support, but yet can just buy his way into a debate, possibly purchase a nomination. Um, I think everybody rightfully was like, hold on now, and went at him because of the timing. Even though, even at that time, I think Bernie's more of a front runner now than he was. Um, but it's not like he wasn't, you know, the most formidable person in the field. And they didn't go after Bernie's. But the timing happened to where in Nevada they got, you know, their doors blown off. And they're like, all right, everybody's like, all right, let's go beat up on this guy. And I think that's what you saw. But I told you guys last week, I don't think these debates – go for or against Bernie in any discernible direction because he has been like literally 30 years saying the same thing, <laughs> saying the same thing. We need to rein in the money. We need to help out working people in not so many ways, but the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. So I don't think, you know, these people thought that they, they could take a bite out of Bernie. It just didn't happen for them. I don't think. Yeah, the top line I think is true, and I, you know, after the debate, and I'm I'm really at a point where I'm trying. Like, I even tried for a couple of days to be like, you know, can I an analyze Buttigieg as an example in any way objectively? Because I just hate him. Like, I really, yeah. really find him so viscerally unlikable. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, you know what? But and I tried to start to think about, like, you know what? 
Obviously, the bullshit he pulled in Iowa, of course, I'm going to hate it because I'm a believer in democracy and I support Bernie Sanders. But I was like, you know what? Maybe if I didn't have that preset where I cared about the popular vote and who got the most votes and I supported Bernie, maybe I would think like, wow, look at this like young dude, you know, having the balls to just like claim victory or, you know, I was really trying and watching him in that debate just interrupt and interrupt and interrupt and interrupt and interrupt. I, I was sitting there, I was like, and I, and I said this on the majority report because we were covering it. I was like, do you think that this is cracking through? Because it just seems to me like, and, and not to mention like that horrifying videos going around of him just doing these bizarre like single white female impersonations of Barack Obama. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's fucking disturbing. And I'm I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know what? I understand that all of us Bernie bros always hated this guy because he's phony and corporate and soulless. But this has to be coming through a little bit, right? And at the same time, I watched and no, nobody laid a glove on Bernie. He's strong. He stays there. He doesn't take bullshit. But I also was like, yeah, I think Bernie's in the beginning of the race, he's definitely had worse debates, and I think his last couple of debates were better than that debate. However, the exit polls coming out of the debate, where everybody's against him, they're you know Warren's lying about his record, Bloomberg's <laughs> calling him a communist, Pete's interrupting literally everything he says. You know when Biden has like an ability to string sentences together, he's going at him and. Klobuchar is waiting in the wings to be like, hey, 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 don't forget, we can't have shit. And the moderators are biased against him and the Cuba and all of this bullshit. And they go and they do snap polls and normal people are like, yeah, I think Bernie did the best. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think he has the strongest case against Trump. So it's like, all right, shit, it was a terrible debate. It was an embarrassment, but he just steamrolled through. And the last thing I'll say, Chris Christie, I just saw a clip. Chris Christie of all people got it. He's like, and you know, Christie is being kind of full of shit, but in a way, comedically, he's right. He's just like, yeah, he's like, number one, Bernie's the only one up there talking about ideas. And two, everybody's like, hey, you're a communist who loves Castro. And he's like, okay, fine, that's true. Now let's talk about health care. And he's like, because he doesn't care. He doesn't care. And that's how you win. Yeah, I I was talking to a friend of mine after the debate, and it's really remarkable how similar the dynamic of this race is to 2016 in the Republican primary. And one of the things that made Trump so formidable compared to, you know, all the other fucking losers up there like the Marco Rubios and, and John Kasichs of the world is that Trump is fundamentally a person who is true to himself. Like this is something that the fact checkers like could never understand that he lies all the time, but in a way that is true to himself, right? He's not, yes, yes. he's not a cynic, you know? And, um, so like when in the, in the, in the race in 2016, when, you know, the fact checkers would like tally up all his lies and whatever, and that's fine. But like when Hillary Clinton would say something like, uh, I'm going to put working families first. Like you can't call that a lie in the fa in the strict fact checking sense, but everyone watching her say that like knows it's a giant lie and that she's not being true to herself. So when <laughs> yeah. when when you attack 
Trump for all this kind of stuff, and he just kind of remains true to himself in the face of those attacks, it becomes a very formidable thing. Uh, um, and I think that's kind of what's happening with Bernie. You know, like people to judge attacks on Bernie are like unbelievably cynical, right? They're 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 hollow and filled with lies. And and the same thing with Warren's attacks on Bernie. Like you know, she in her heart of hearts, like it, I'm sure, cannot sleep well at night because she knows that she's being cynical and dishonest. Um, and I think at the end of the day, that kind of stuff um, really shines through with voters. You know, that if someone is just kind of like remaining true to themselves and they're like, uh, you praised Castro, isn't that horrible? He's like, yeah, whatever, who cares? I did, deal with it. Uh, let's talk, like you said, let's talk about healthcare. You know, like even if someone you know, is he like- he did oh, just that's- real quick, real quick, on not in the debate, but at the CNN town hall where Chris, Chris Cuomo's again with the Castro business and Bernie did his pivot, he did the criticisms of Cuba and then he was just like, and- he brought literacy, and that's a good thing. And those are the facts. Done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he calls it Cuber, like an yeah. old Brooks Jew. It's so good. <laughs> Cuber. He was teaching people to read in the countryside in Cuba. Cuber. <laughs> that's good. It's <laughs> so good. And it is good, you fucking idiot. And, like, and the other thing that matters too, um, with. With, like, which is the double-edged sword of attacking the quote-unquote front-runner, you kind of, <laughs> you're acknowledging that you're losing. Like, yeah. by doing that. By That's going, true. By all of you guys doing that, you're acknowledging to the world, like, we're losing this and he's kicking our asses and that's why we got to do it. And therefore, you you elevate the guy's status <laughs> by just straight up just acknowledging, like, no, he's killing us. He's killing us yeah. right now and there's nothing we can do, even though... All you ever hear on your cable TV audience is that this guy can't win. But guess what? That's not true. <laughs> that's why we're going after him because he's killing us. I think that's the that's my favorite part about the attacks. It's, it's a tacit acknowledgement that they are getting outfoxed, outworked, outplanned at every single turn. And it's just amazing, man. And if you're a Bernie supporter, you got to love it. Yeah, and he's just – one of his big political superpowers is just to be able to withstand those attacks and punch back. You know, look at, look at, how, look at how fragile Bloomberg was in the face of attacks. Like did he not understand that people were going to bring up all the sexual harassment cases against him? And just the way he reacts is like annoyed and like he scoffs at even the suggestion of it. He has no – he, he has no ability to like make a counter argument or punch back. He just says, well, you know, because wow. what's amazing about that is because he doesn't have either like, and I, I'm just talking like this really shows like he can literally buy every, anything. I mean, he can end yeah. our democracy through his campaign, but he cannot buy somebody to coach him out of his arrogance to the point where they could just say like, dude, here are two paths. One is you. You know, not convincingly, because who's really going to believe him? But you get pissed off. You say, hey, look, this is bullshit. Nobody's perfect. But like, please, like I'm, a, you know, whatever, like go at it aggressively, deny it, be indignant and not arrogant. Or you say, hey, grown up a lot in my life. Sorry. Boom. Here's what we got to do moving yeah. forward. You know, the fact that he's st- like. Like when he said, oh, it was just a joke. Somebody didn't. You could feel even outside of the room. And that isn't in the last debate. That was in the Nevada debate. I was in fucking Latin America 
And I watched that and I was like, you could feel the whole room sink. Yeah. Just like the arrogance. And he's not, you know, he's not ready. I, I actually, I will say Bloomberg debating has probably been the only part of this campaign that I will give like all of this dumb, like West Wing shit that is almost always untrue, a little bit of credit. Like, you know what? I guess in this case, sunlight, it, like just have them debate. Like, cause that is what's gonna, like his numbers are plunging. They're because, collapsing. Because you just got him up there and he's not, you know, he's not a mad genius like Trump. And what he is is actually just this very nasty old man who looks at people like ants and yeah. he doesn't have it. And I keep explaining this to non-New York City people. I'm like, look, um, those folks in Staten Island, um, certain people in Queens and in Brooklyn, places like Bensonhurst, they would have Giuliani back as mayor in a second. Oh, in, um, a in a second, they would be like, hell yes, our boy Rudy is back. Um, And, you know, there's certain corners in New York that still has love for de Blasio, even though, you know, he came in with this soaring wave of enthusiasm amongst progressives in New York and obviously never lived up to that. But people still got love for de Blasio. When I tell you nobody cares about Bloomberg in New York City and he was mayor for 12 years. Nobody, nobody wants him back. He has no constituency in the place where he was mayor for 12 years. So the idea that he's going to run some national game, you have no support anywhere. Like at least Rudy Giuliani, he knows he got some core support amongst a certain type of New Yorker. And we know that and we know who those people are, right? Um, You know, and you could say the same thing about different people, but like, my goodness, Bloomberg is nobody. Nobody wants him. Nobody liked him. Nobody misses him. So, you know, the idea that he would get up on that stage and just turn into, you know, Jed Bartlett, it is, uh, that just <laughs> that don't even make no sense to me, you know? Well, he's the distillation of the elite, like the plutocracy, its media enablers. And on one hand, I mean, look, and, and I'm not, this is one where you I think you actually have to be pretty like puritanical about it. If you're taking Bloomberg money and you're endorsing him, not as like a low paid organizer who's <laughs> right. going to vote for Bernie anyways. That's cool. Go for it. More power to you. Take as much of the old like bastards people who money. wield actual influence. But I'm, just look, like I'm saying, you know, uh, well, let me give a specific name. She hasn't even endorsed him. But Stacey Abrams took $5 million from Mike Bloomberg. She did a forum with him, and she went on The View and said his money wasn't a problem. Fuck her. That's it. I'm done. I, and, I'm, and, and you know that I'm really – I actually take great pains to actually kind of not have that attitude. I really do think in general people are so quick now in every area to be black or white or cancel people or not see some complexity, which I think is actually really necessary and important. But this is what I'm going to be really hard on. I mean, this is, it's the most raw and basic, like rot imaginable and people who have, you know, especially people who have actual credibility that they will sell out to Mike Bloomberg. Nope. Well, think about what it was in the debate last night in the first ad break which is the most watched one, the first ad was a Mike Bloomberg ad. Like literally purchasing ad space in the airtime of the debate. 
like, you know, you see the debate, you see them all fighting. And then all of a sudden you see this like very slickly produced ad with patriotic music, uh, showing Mike, Mike Bloomberg surrounded by black people and talking about how awesome he is, you know, like it's like, it's just so like, if this happened in North Korea, we'd be like making fun of it. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous and it's, it's unconscionable. And like you said, like it, I, I, Big was like I, I I gotta say like after our last episode I felt a little bit better because I was in a dark dark place with this like Bloomberg the juggernaut Bloomberg. like I was just oh, with the- yeah I was just seeing him buy up like I'm just seeing like Joy Reid just g- going like you know what maybe we maybe we should get Bloomberg he's he's a Republican that's that's how we're gonna be the Republican I'm like oh my god how, how much is she, how much is he paying you how many other people does he have in his pocket you know like it's just but after you said like yeah at the end of the day. Nobody likes this dude and seeing him in this, in the debate, just fall flat on his face. And then immediately after his polling numbers, just absolutely flatline and then start going down. Uh, it made me feel really good because he really can buy every single important person that he needs, um, to sort of drum up this fake support. No, cause I wanted to bring up something too. Um, cause I was reading Charlie Pierce two days ago and he was like, look, All of these people, all of the hand-wringing on MSNBC with the pundits, all of the establishment Dems who are acting like this is the end of the world, blah, 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 blah. First of all, the party, like dummies, backed Joe Biden. His late, sloppy-ass campaign, they backed it. The lack of imagination that it took to back a Joe Biden candidacy, again, it can't be overstated. This guy ran twice already before this flamed out in disaster and they backed him as an older fading man the like the lack of imagination and hubris and just ridiculousness of the party establishment is dumb right i remember back in 2016 me and mike was talking about it and it was like look in the same country hillary clinton would just be the republican nominee She'd be the business, oh, yeah. business friendly, sensible on social issues, um, probably don't really care about working people all that much, you know, doesn't want to, you know, hang homosexuals and black people in the streets or whatever. She would be the Republican candidate and Bernie would represent the uh, working can, people. In a- can I just say that I would I would pay good money uh, to watch Hillary Clinton do a speech where she's just like. Take care of interest rates and don't hang black people. <laughs> I mean, when I when I tell when I tell my friends in Spain that the leader of the of the left party in the United States in 2016 was on the board of Walmart and her husband, when when he was president, named as the secretary of treasury, the chairman of Goldman Sachs. They're like, what? Yeah. Like <laughs> that's the left Again, party. In a sensible like, country, the economy. that's what would be what would be happening if our politics actually made sense. If the Democratic Party actually made sense, the establishment would have just got behind Warren. And they would have had their establishment-friendly candidate, and they would have had, you know, they could have been like, look, she's progressive. But, like, this is the person who's not afraid to say, I'm a proud capitalist. She's worked she's worked on for, for multi-billion dollar corporations before. They could have had their candidate. But no, <laughs> they didn't want to do I that. Think, I think it's very clear that, like, the chips 
fell perfectly for Bernie in that you're right that the in retrospect, the, the sensible choice for the establishment would have been to just go hard on Warren from the beginning. But I think the fact that Obama world kind of hates Warren because she was the she, she because of all the stuff that happened behind the scenes there kind of gave them pause and didn't allow it. And it's kind of the same thing that in the reverse happened with Joe Biden, where no one really believed that Joe Biden had what it takes. Uh, no one really wanted Joe Biden. But the fact that he was Obama's VP, everyone felt like they couldn't go after him too hard in the beginning. Um, so it, it actually kind of <laughs> lined up perfectly because there was no one to really take that mantle up early on the way Hillary Clinton did in 2016. Just the, the idea that the money and the influence in the party would have lined up behind Joe Biden like that. That just never made any sense. And I and, you know, and I remember telling Mike and I, and I hate to do this. I told you, so it's just like, yo, that he's not good at campaigning. He is so yeah, right. bad totally at right. this. Day after I mean, day, all he's doing is just messing up. Like he's. Can just, we talk about the South Africa thing, please? Oh my the, goodness! The I was Can I just real, real quick? Let's do that. Let me just say real quick, just just to tie that knot. Democrats are so stupid that look. I still maintain this. Joe Biden, 2016, had he run, would be the president of the United States right now. Absolutely. So if they still like they can't even get the timing right, like if they just could even have an ounce of chutzpah to say, you know what, Hillary, we saw how 2008 went. You were secretary of state. We're going to just wheel out old Joe. People kind of like him. He's going to know how to deal with the Republicans like that would have been true in 2016. Okay, real quick too, just give just indulge me for 10 seconds. I don't really have this down yet. But I, I finally have a little bit of a Warren impression. Okay. So I just want to protest it. Yeah. You know how she's always talking about her dad? Yeah. And so she's her like, janitor oh, dad, right? The yeah. May not have like, been a janitor. So, yes. And she's always like talking about how down her you know, down in his luck her dad was and always looking for reasons to like wage bullshit attacks at Bernie. So she's like, you know, I, we're gonna get to a debate point where she's just like, you know, here's the thing. Daddy said Jews talk too loud to be president. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. That's pretty good. I, get what you're, I get what you're going with. Jews, should Jews be able to talk loud? Of course they can talk loud. But that does not mean that they're going to be president. <laughs> oh, oh my man. lord goodness gracious my favorite thing about warren is that there was this article that came out in the nation this week talking about how she was the most intersectional candidate like in the history of mankind which is the biggest joke and then no one knows what that means obviously and then they uh, the moderators ask her a direct question about israel in the in the uh, debate and she's like oh well you know israel's got a right to defend themselves and um yeah i you know but I don't know what we should do. I, I hope they work something out. <laughs> you know, like I hope they just stop uh, doing all that right. bad stuff. Intersectionality. You know, like, there you just, go. Yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly what intersectionality is. It's just also I, not uh, not to be to be a little fucking intersectional. No, not intersectional. Fuck intersectional. But to be a little historical, and plenty of people. I didn't read that article, but plenty of people pointed out. Like, do you really? want to go on that angle when you know that Shirley Chisholm ran for president in 1972 like <laughs> you really want to lean on that angle? like really I mean the the arrogance and the entitlement of the Warren campaign is actually fucking awe-inspiring like I see people literally whining on Twitter that Bernie's going to campaign in Massachusetts yeah I mean well, it's, this, it's wait what, liberals are out of their fucking mind wait what well, 
Yeah, what because they're saying mean? it's like they're saying, they're saying it's like a mean thing to nuts. do to Warren. Yeah, make her lose by more in her home oh state that she's already going to lose by. Goodness. But yeah, I mean, liberals just have this weird way of looking That's politics insane. in which they they yeah. view it all through their own personal experience. I'm not even talking about their own personal self-interest, which is how the vast majority of people all over the world look at politics. But like liberals look at politics by projecting their own experience onto the experience of the of the person who they like. So like if you've ever gotten you know overlooked in a meeting or someone has like taking your idea in, in, at work and gotten credit for it, you know, like they, they see that <laughs> happening with Warren and then like that only makes them support her more. Right. And it's just like, you're projecting your own frustrations in your day-to-day -day life onto a politician. And that's just like a weird thing to do. Like, I, I don't know, like Bernie has nothing to do with my life. Like he's couldn't his experience couldn't be more different you than my life you experience. You don't sit around and and write like like uh, you know fifty like tweet threads about how like you know if Bernie was doing my taxes, right. here's what he would do: calm me down immediately, <laughs> and he would really make me feel soothed. And I mean, and by the way, like that, I'm actually, I'm not making this up. That's like a literal thing that somebody wrote. So yeah, it's wild. But anyways, what guys, what did Joe Biden? I mean, look, to be fair to him, if he got arrested ending the apartheid regime, maybe we got to give him a second look, right? Of course, yeah. of course, of course, yeah, of course, of course. What happened? This guy, it, what did Joe Biden can, can, say? Uh, uh, Nando, can you set up the the, the Joe Biden um, South Africa? So, like, yes. by the way, again, just to run things down, um, Joe Biden's lied about being an, a protester um, <laughs> during the civil rights movement. He's uh, it like just lied over and over. He did it in '88 for his campaign. He's done it again this time. Um, he obviously he's plagiarized a bunch of people and pawned off their work as his own. Like he has just a history of just when he's in campaign mode, he just straight up just starts lying and making shit up. And now he's got the latest one with this alleged arrest in South apartheid South Africa, Nando. It's it's really it's really shocking in many ways. But like he 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 started telling this story of how in the late eighties he went to go see Nelson Mandela uh with some UN secretary and that they both got arrested in Soweto, which is in Johannesburg, um, which is you know far away from where Nelson Mandela was in prison. Um and you know, it turns out that that never happened. They asked the UN person and they were like, nope, that didn't happen. Um, and there's no record of, of Joe Biden getting arrested. I mean, at the time he was a U.S. senator. So you would think no if you, freaking chance that would happen. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like if it, and if it did, it'd be like all over the news, you know, like there'd be there. And there's nothing. It's just it's something that did not happen. It was just it's just a complete fabrication. And, you know, I don't even know at this point if Joe Biden is just like lying or he actually believes it because he says it was such conviction and he's such an old man and he's clearly like, you know, losing his marbles that I think maybe at this point he does believe it. But it made me think of this weird thing that's happening with um, the Democratic establishment because on The View, like I want to say like a week ago, um, oh no, not, it wasn't on The View, it was on LeBron's show, 
Hasan Minaj was talking about, you know, how like young people want change or whatever. And Whoopi Goldberg like clapped back at him saying like, you young people don't appreciate like what we've done in our life. Like, you know, we, you, you know, like, when I, like, when I walked I out with Ted time. dancing in blackface. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, she was like talking about Joe Biden saying like how he helped end apartheid. And it's like, what? Like, uh, did Joe Biden really have any meaningful thing to do with apartheid at all? Like, I highly pass, doubt it. Pass. Well, you know what? Actually, this is interesting, guys, because like Joe Lockhart, who was Clinton's press secretary, also put out this wild tweet complaining like because Bernie put out, you know, the Bernie campaign had some tweet about how we're taking on the Republican and Democratic establishments. And Joe Lockhart's like, oh, really? The Democratic establishment gave you civil rights. <laughs> and, and, and everybody pointed out, like, obviously, that's incredibly racist. It's ahistorical. It erases how civil rights happen. But in the same way, look, Joe Biden did so. That's actually, honestly, probably some of the votes he cast and things he did in the Senate in the 80s fighting apartheid, probably some of the best stuff he ever did in politics, right? But it's their, it's so their mindset that. They wouldn't say like, yeah, you know, this is an area where he's got an honorable record. You should give him a little, you know, some props for it. They say it was not the thousands of people in South Africa who got murdered by the security forces. It was not the ANC building this like world class political organization while they're underground and in exile that like grips global media and produces like multiple kind of cultural political icons. That was Joe Biden. You should fucking yeah, think yeah. <laughs> like that's their mindset. Like they really, they look back at the sixties. They don't see the hundreds of thousands of people on the streets. They don't see the murdered people in the South. They just see LBJ. that one day LBJ was just like, you know what? That's not right, man. I'm going to fucking sign I mean, that. And by the way, LBJ definitely deserves credit um, for, no for what he did. Cause he worked his ass off to get it done. And guess what? There's, there might be what, like, Two people in the entire Democratic Party with as much balls as that dude left. Like, if <laughs> yeah, that, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's like you can't compare a single Democrat to LBJ. Like, when you when you just think about Nancy Pelosi and the dragging and the we can't impeach the criminal, and it's like it, straight up, it's not even about um, because to me, a lot of it is like it's not even about what you actually quote unquote get done when the Republicans are doing their whole repeat repeal and repeat and blah, blah, blah. Like they know they're not going to strip away the shit that their, their own people actually like, but it's symbolic and it keeps stuff in the news and it keeps them on the attack. And it, like, they don't even understand the idea of just fighting for shit. So like, I you know, but that's, that's real funny too, right? Because the, the extent to which all of these idiots will point to examples like that. I mean, and look, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama had political skills, which they used for themselves or Bill Clinton used for reactionary politics. But that's a really good point was because when they, when they, particularly when they wheel out, like not politically or ideologically, but the times when they want to say like, no, we had people who brawled and got stuff done. They basically are talking about in different ways, LBJ and Bobby Kennedy and maybe JFK at times. Maybe. And what's funny is that all of those guys did exactly the opposite of what they're advocating today. Not in the sense that they didn't make compromises and cut deals, but they fucking went. Sharp elbows. They weren't just like, I'm going to go out on TV and I'm going to say shame on you. Like, like LBJ, like, you know, ironically, 
who's the one person in the presidential race who sounds like he's talking like LBJ? I'm going to give big, grand, thematic speeches. I'm going to be way more than him, obviously, but I'm going to be connected to the social movements. And if somebody votes against my agenda, I'm going to go to their fucking home state and embarrass them. That's that is more similar to what they're talking about. That's Bernie. Yeah, I mean, you know, and we've said this a lot on this show. Um, that's kind of one of the reasons why I do miss Harry Reid, because um, he was just like just a ruthless bastard. <laughs> but he was yeah. like literally the only Dem who was like that. You know what I'm saying? Like all of these people, all of this hand wringing, like these are the biggest crybaby whiners, wimps, you know, in the world. So it's like, get out of here with all of that, man. The democratic establishment. Like, first of all, um, just factually speak, not even factually, excuse me. This isn't even um subjectively speaking. The party at large, writ large, is just way different than it used to be. Right. And that's, you know, that's part of purging the Dixiecrats. That's just part of the embrace of the the sort of professional class in this country and sort of leaving labor behind. And like the party's not even the same. So when you talk about what the Democratic establishment did in 1965 compared to 2020, there's like there's absolutely no there's no connective tissue. There's no thread there that's connecting you guys like LBJ and Bill Clinton. I mean, come on, dude, or Hillary Clinton, like like just chill, bro. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Hillary Clinton would definitely be down for wiretapping MLK, though. Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And we want to, and we do. Mike, we do want. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Nando. It, no, I mean it's just worth pointing out that, that that a large chunk of the Democratic establishment, and I'm, not, and I'm not talking about the the sort of Dixiecrats, but I'm talking about like of the liberal intelligentsia uh, in the 1960s, fucking hated Martin Luther King, like absolutely hated him. You know, so it's, it's so let's it's actually because we're got to get to this Ben Dominish thing because it's hilarious. But you know what? Let's just really quick and Rob, I don't know whether we're going to play it now or you'll put it in post. But just this perfectly fits because at a national what is uh, what is Al Sharpton's thing? It's NAC. It's like National Af- Action Conference, I think. Yeah. He was doing a forum in South Carolina earlier uh, this week. Uh, I think maybe even actually today, Wednesday, as we're recording, where and Al Sharpton is a very complicated person, <laughs> which maybe, you know, we could we could share our thoughts on. But he didn't endorse Bernie, but he took a very significant opportunity. I have to say this is really interesting because Jesse Jackson published a piece a couple of days ago in the Chicago Tribune, not endorsing Bernie, but heartily embracing, like explaining that democratic socialism is a positive and American thing. And Al Sharpton, as you'll hear in this clip, is saying, don't let them demonize the word socialist. And remember, that's what they called Dr. King. That's what they called, you know, the people struggling for civil rights. Of course, a lot of those folks absolutely were some form of socialist and in that broader American, you know, socialist tradition. So, but I want to say this, and I'm going to have a lot more to say in the next day or so about this campaign, but I think it's important in South Carolina. The civil rights movement always was targeted by those that would use the Red Scare. They accused Dr. King of being a communist. 
Every major leader in the 60s, they tried to call socialists to communists. Whatever you decide to do on Saturday, do not go by those that use the socialist tag to try to separate us from what we need to do for this country. Swanjo, so guys, you know, we should hit on that, too, because I— Look, Al Sharpton deserves I'm, – I'm a points-on-the-board person. I think he deserves a lot of points for that, not only just because it benefits Bernie, obviously, but I think that's really important history. No, I, you know, Al Sharpton is – I feel like complicated gets used as a loaded <laughs> word at times with, with, with people who have been in the public eye for, you know, 30-plus years. But Al Sharpton is definitely a complicated figure, right? Like – FBI informant got guys locked up back when he was in his drug dealing days. Um, you know, then he turned into a shakedown artist when it comes to strikes and race issues in New York. Then the man ran for president. I mean, like, this dude has lived like 70 different lives by now, right? But he still does, you know, have a constituency amongst older black voters. Um, he still has a voice with them. He still has some credibility with them. And so you can say, you know, like a lot of times in, in what I do on the sports side, right, Mike, sometimes I'll see somebody, I'll see somebody retweet Skip Bayless because he happens to agree with them on one thing. And I'm just like, you can't <laughs> fucking retweet Skip Bayless. I don't care if he made your point for you. You, you can't do that. So I understand how some people would be like, really? We're, we're jacking Al Sharpton now. But, you know, there's something to be said that, you know, th- that somebody like Al Sharpton, and like you said, Reggie Reggie Jackson coming out and being like, don't let these people try to tell you socialism is some dirty word. Because back back when we back when Jesse Jackson and, and his people he, he was hanging out around with were dying behind this shit. That's what they called us, too. You know, and so, you know, I, I think it's important to. Pay attention. I think it's really interesting that Al Sharpton would choose this time, particularly, to to sort of step up in that way. Well, I think it's you know what happened with a lot of uh, radicals and stuff that came out of the 1960s is that they kind of crashed up against the the wall of capital, basically, in and yeah. the sort of neoliberal reaction in the 1970s, and they were like, uh, you know what, we might as well just we might as well just give up and cash in on our cachet, you know, like, and a lot of them did that. And Al Sharpton did that. I mean, he had a show at MSNBC for a long time, you know, it's not like, it's He's still a contributor. A yeah. Um, but he had his like own show and stuff. And like, you know, yep. that's, that's a lot of people did that because they, they realized that they, they, they had all this idealism in the 1960s. They wanted to change the world. They got close, they didn't. And then there was a furious reaction in the 1970s. And they're like, okay, we might as well, we might as well just at least, you know, make a decent life and comfortable life for ourselves. Um, and Bernie now kind of re reinvigorating the possibility of meaningful change and of sort of destroying that whole neoliberal hegemony, I think maybe is stirring something within them that was, that's been dormant, you know, that they see now the possibility that, uh, of fulfilling those dreams that started in the 1960s, you know, like it's, it's, it does feel like there is a, a new era dawning or, you know, and it, it could, you know, it could be for the worse, like that's, that's very obvious, but it could also be for the better, better, but the sort of world that we've lived in for the last 30 or 40 years is dying. Um, and something new is going to come up from the ashes. And I think that's, you know, like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, these kind of guys are, are thinking like, you know what, maybe, maybe, maybe it's time to, you know, take it back up this time. 
yeah, I, I think that's true. And I, I also think like Adolph Reed, who I know I mention all the time because he should be, had some really interesting writing on sort of like different black political traditions in the sixties and how it kind of, how essentially it sort of turned like basically like, um, the machines in major like Northern cities started to have like proper black machines too, right? Like Irish and Italian machines and all of that. And you start getting, uh, you know, really important cities run, uh, by African-Americans in the seventies and eighties, like Andrew Young and Harold Washington, and they face enormous racism and resistance. And, you know, he kind of distinguishes, you know, some of them being very sincere and really wanting to deliver and working within those capitalist limits. And then, you know, others becoming just like most politicians. Right. And what's interesting too, though, is that he, he flips it where he's kind of like in the popular imagination, you think of like, you know, oh, like Baird Rustin and Dr. King, like they're and A. Philip Randolph, they're marching and they're talking about peace and lunch counters and all of that. So they're like the soft ones and various like nationalist projects with much more, you know, like incendiary rhetoric or whatever. They're the real radicals. And his kind of argument, which is interesting, is like actually what King and like those guys were actually going for was they were basically, it was a two front. We're going to destroy American apartheid and then we're going to have socialism. Like the new deal is going to become deracialized because we're going to have an actual democracy. And then we're going to have labor power and get rid of poverty and take on militarism. So actually like that's a very radical project. And it's interesting you know, people like Sharpton who have played like almost every single angle of that <laughs> triad kind of kind of like come and be like, OK, well, I know that story, too, because, you know, this is somebody who, again, like, you know, what we were saying was like complicated means like like totally an asshole in some ways, but also like brilliant, like and not just like brilliant in terms of. Like Trump is brilliant. Like, yes, he's brilliant at being the disgusting thing he is. Like, no, genuinely complicated, like shakedown artist sells like sketchy financial products. I think years ago, one time I saw Al Sharpton on TV when I was really young and it was fucking amazing because they literally played a tape of him like talking like like. A, a Coke deal, like not like, <laughs> oh, like let's, uh, how many suitcases you got for me? But literally like, no, I'm going to want another key on that. Like, like not even using code words and they go back to him and he's just like, but you didn't play the other tape. <laughs> the best bullshit I've ever seen in my life. And, and like, you know, I, I won't, I gotta be careful, but like, you know, I talked to some, not that actually this person said nothing bad about them. I just want to, you know, maintain whatever, but like somebody who was, you know, knew him a little bit, they were like, you know, you got to realize like this guy is like, you know, he knows about Pakistani history. He's reading books on international, like he knows a lot. He sees a lot. 
And that's also true about him. And I thought, you know, particularly in that moment with Bernie, not just that, because I think we should all be cynical enough that if he just was kind of making some positive noises towards Bernie, it would be like, okay, there's probably a, you know, there's an angle to this. But really bringing that history back up in South Carolina was like, okay, you know what? There's a lot. Like, this reminds us that you're a genuine, like, you're a complicated guy. That's awesome, you know? Yeah. Um. Shit, man. Cause, I, cause we gotta go. Um. I think we, we'll just we'll just have to table the Ben Dominic. All right. Shit. We'll do, we'll do the Ben Dominic thing next week. Because we have a lot of great. Hilarious. Um, it'll still be hilarious. There's this. There's no time uh, expiration on that. All right, folks. We appreciate all of you. Uh, check out everybody's social medias. They're all linked to. Check out the live show tickets. They're all linked to. Check out the Patreon and membership pages. They're all linked to. All right. Peace and love. We'll see you all next week. Peace out.